Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Hi, I'm Helene Wasserman, and I'm a shareholder in Littler's Los Angeles offices. In this part three of our demystifying litigation in the COVID era, talking about jury trials. In part three, we're now going to talk about jury trials during and post-COVID and what they are and are going to look like. You know, plexiglass masks and social distancing, Zoom electronics, jury selection in ballrooms. These are just a few of the ways in which courts are currently conducting jury trials. Because the show must go on, judges and lawyers need to find creative ways to afford litigants their day in court, but the term in court is very different now than it was pre-COVID. With me is Dr. Dan Gallipo, co-founder and president of Dispute Dynamics, a nationally recognized jury consulting firm. For decades, Dan has worked with clients nationally and internationally, assisting them in the formulation and communication of trial themes and strategies and preparing witnesses and jury selection. Thanks, Dan, for joining us. Thank you. So, Dan, we've been hearing a lot about the different ways in which courts are conducting or proposing to conduct jury trials. There seem to be two camps forming and maybe a third. There's the Zoom or virtual trial. There's the plexiglass mask and social distance trial. And then there are courts that are trying to do a hybrid of both. First off, what has been, from what you've understood, the collective experience that you've discerned about the Zoom or virtual trials, the ones where everyone is doing everything via Zoom video? My experience, based on what I've been reading, is that there is significant resistance among counsel to doing an entire trial by Zoom. In fact, just this morning, Philadelphia announced after talking to attorneys that when they start trials next month, they're going to be live and not by Zoom. And a lot of that was based on feedback from the local bar. And the other challenge with Zoom, and I think you have to take into account certain factors like location, because if you're in an area that is a hotspot, there's a real issue of will jurors even turn up? And in fact, there was something posted yesterday from one of the courts in Alabama in an area that's having hotspot where they're having real problems even just getting jurors to show up. And even in Los Angeles, what I've been told is the response rates to jury summons have fallen dramatically to about 10% of the normal response rate because, again, as a hotspot, people just don't want to come in. So I think what we're seeing is there seems to be a willingness to say, okay, for voir dire, it's doable by Zoom. May not be perfect because you do lose a lot of the visual cues and watching other people watch the person that's talking, but it's acceptable. And as you said, the show has to go on. But I, I think that by and large, more courts seem to be going in the direction of the, as you would say, the plexiglass, the social distancing. And if you have a courtroom environment where the courtroom is large enough to do that, then it should work well. Jurors being spread out throughout the courtroom is, is one of the things we're seeing. 
an innovation which I thought makes tremendous sense from one of the San Francisco judges was masks, but clear masks, so that you could see the facial expressions of the witness when they're talking. Well, you know, I actually watched early on a couple months ago, there was actually a full jury trial that went forward in Texas via Zoom. And I remember watching the jury selection. And then I remember reading some articles about how the jurors perceived the entire format of, because that was the situation where the entire entire trial was done via Zoom. And what I basically took from what I what I had read is that the jurors, first of all, really liked the idea of doing the trial via Zoom. Of course, none of them liked driving in traffic, so the idea that they were able to do do their jury service from the comfort of their home was something that they all were very happy with. And another thing, they really thought that they could easily tell the credibility of the witnesses' faces because the witnesses were also via video and the jurors were happy that they could see the jurors' entire face and face on, as opposed to a lot of courtrooms are set up where given where the jury box is and where the witness is sitting, they may not have the opportunity to see the full face of the, of the uh, witness. So now I understand that using clear masks gets through the issue of seeing the face of the witness, but what were your thoughts of this idea of having an entire trial via Zoom? Because it seems like that is something that could very easily be a functioning option. And the courts are doing it. I think it's an option when you have to go to trial and there's just reasons that you can't do it in court, such as tiny courtrooms where social distancing is impossible. And for a number of state courtrooms, cozy would be a, a clear uh, definition of them. Social distancing just isn't possible. But the reality is that there's a number of downsides from the trial attorney's perspective. One you mentioned is you can see the witness's face. That's the focus. Well, depending on your witness, that could be the equivalent of the talking DMV photo. You're putting huge amount of emphasis on basically the, the, the face of the witness. If you have someone, as I've had, who's a sweater or has an eye twitch, etc., that's going to get really, really highlighted. You have someone that's a talker, they use their hands. That may or may not show up and can just look a little odd. So you're getting a much more restricted view of the nonverbal communications of the witness, the fumbling with documents, that type of thing as well. So you're not getting the same amount of information. The flip side of that is, first of all, and I've had this experience running things online in general, is that you can't hold people at a computer screen for a full day. The reality is you hold people's attention better live than staring at a computer screen. What you also have is quality of the internet connection. I have seen and I've heard examples of people that have very weak connections and so they have a very poor quality picture. You also have the very fundamental issue of jurors paying attention. Now, a conscientious juror is a conscientious juror. They're gonna do their best, they're gonna stay focused. But if you're in a pandemic situation, maybe that person is home with their kids, with other family members, and it's a smaller home. They may not have a 
the ability to hole up somewhere in a quiet room day after day after day without the kids, without the cat crawling into their lap, without the dog barking, where they can stay focused. You also have the situation of some jurors who can do online research while the trial is going on, Googling stuff on their phone. Now, they're always instructed not to do it, but you can keep an eye on them in court. When they're at home, they can have the, the trial on their, on their computer screen, but they can be Googling God knows what or watching a YouTube video on their cell phone. So there's real control issues in terms of, you know, are the jurors paying attention? So, Dan, it sounds like if folks have the option to do a live trial, you would always recommend that they do it. But what if they are actually forced into a Zoom trial? Either the judge is forcing them in to go to trial, the courtroom is too cozy. Do you have any recommendations for folks put into that position? Yes, I think there's a couple things. Keep it short and simple. Think through your exhibits. It's not the same as being in court. For example, you can't use two things at once. You can't have a timeline on a board and be using another exhibits. How will the witness testify? Live on Zoom? What's the quality gonna be like from where they are? Quick example, witness on a case in Ohio, the lighting and the poor connection, she looked horrible and it was impacting her credibility. And finally, the video deposition may be the trial testimony. So you should assume that whatever is being done on the depot is going to appear in front of the jury. So another school of thought is the idea of holding trials in person, following all the required social distancing guidelines. What are trials like this looking like? It depends a lot on the, on the courtroom itself. Social distancing can be a challenge, but in essence, what seems to be the case is many of the courts are doing pretty minimal modifications. They're spreading the jurors out to the entire courtroom as opposed to just in the box. Or if it's a larger box, they're putting them in the box every other seat. Quite a number of the courtrooms are putting sort of clear plexiglass shields between each seat and of course across between the front and the back row. No audience. Some courts are doing a, uh, a video feed for the public, but no audience, minimal staff in the courtroom, including the number of attorneys and clients that are in there. Those are, are some of the more common ones. In a few situations, I've seen examples where they've gone off site to a, a large room, a ballroom or some equivalent, where they've set up the court there uh, because the actual courtroom was just too tiny to be manageable. But by and large, I don't think it's creating a huge amount of disruption. And talking to my colleagues who have uh, spoken with attorneys who have done some live trials so far is other than wearing masks and people being a little more spread out, it's not that different. And the deliberations have typically been live. They're in the courtroom, not the jury room. Security cameras turned off, doors locked, and the jurors spread out. But deliberations just happened in the courtroom. 
I understand that, Dan, but it seems that there'll be a lot of extra time, right? Because there'll be a lot of time because the jurors have to come into the courtroom and leave the courtroom and leave the courthouse and enter the courthouse, as will the witnesses, as will the attorneys, and they're going on breaks, and then there's the lunch break. And anybody like me who's ever stood in line at LA County Superior, at any of the major branches, you know how long on a good day you're standing in line just to get into the courthouse to go through security, then to get back into the courtroom. Do you anticipate the trials are going to be longer because of the way that everyone's going to have to go through the social distancing process, the security process, maybe temperature check process? They're going to be longer, but I think that there's a couple things that could be done. In a number of the cases that I've been in in federal court, the judges use different hours, uh, basically run it from about 8.30 in the morning till 1 or 1.30 in the afternoon, with just two short breaks and no lunch break. If you do something like that, which is an easy adjustment, you eliminate the whole lunchtime issue, which obviously is a, is a major benefit. Voidir is clearly going to take longer because you're going to have to bring jurors in a couple at a time. The way to mitigate that, and there seems to be a general consensus on this, is much more detailed questionnaires going out to the jury in advance so that you can um, spend less time on oral voir dire during the, the trial itself. It may also be the case, given the circumstances that you're talking about, that some witnesses simply testify live, but by a video link. They may be older and have health reasons. They may not be comfortable. But I think you're going to see witnesses, or at least some witnesses, testifying live, but not physically present in the courtroom. So do you think the trials themselves will last longer in that we are having these shorter days? I think it is likely the trials will last longer, but I also think there's going to be tremendous pressure on counsel to keep it moving, and from the jury, not just from the court. So that means get to the point, keep your witnesses short. I don't want witnesses who are repetitive. I want shorter closings and openings. It's going to be compressing the trial. Now, unfortunately, what that means, and we've had experience with this in the patent area, which I also do a lot of work at, for years, particularly in Texas, the judges had you on the clock where you've had 8, 12, 15 hours to put your whole case on. And so you're doing triage, but what it also means is from the defense perspective, plaintiff has burned a lot of time, and now the jurors are anxious to get out, and you've got the short end of the stick. You've got to keep your case moving quickly, but still get your information in, and jurors are viewing you as the one holding up them getting out of there. So do you have any final tips for an attorney who is getting ready for their first new in-person version of this jury trial post-COVID? Yes, there's a couple of things. And I think that uh, it basically boils down to it's going to be even more important to keep it streamlined because of people's sort of stress levels. Consider the order. Chronological presentation may not be the most effective way. You may want to jump to the conclusion. You may want to jump to the events and then go back and say, how did we get there? So consider the order of your information. That's gonna make a huge difference. Graphics are gonna be even more important just to be able to keep things moving and to keep your witnesses focused as well. So it seems like a lot of this streamlined trials is really gonna be a matter of 
further organization, maybe a little bit less of the buildup, but sort of starting at the end and then working your backward as far as the theme and how you explain it to the jury. All of this in dealing with a jury that has got a shorter attention span now than they may have had pre-COVID. Is that a correct assessment? Yes. Terrific. Thanks so much for your time, Dan. We really appreciate it. And thanks everyone for listening. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.